right. Welcome back to this week's episode of Living Well While Living Online. I am so excited today to have conversation with my friend Martha Williams. And Martha is coming to us from Kingston, Ontario, if I'm remembering everything correctly. And Martha and I have been friends for quite a while. Again, surprise, surprise, through the spinning program. <laughs> I have my global family, but there's been so many amazing people I would not have met for not that program and how it brings us together. And I'm so happy to have Martha in my life. So Martha, thank you for your willingness to share this conversation with me and our listeners. Oh, thank you for having me, Tammy. I, uh, <laughs> I think of you often as such a great mentor. So thank you. Oh, you're kind to say that. Um, yeah, we've, I mean, what has it been? 12 it's, years? Yeah, probably about 15, 12 years. It's gone fast. Like I mean, yeah. And Martha was living in the States when I did meet her. She was based mm -hmm. in Atlanta. And so we saw each other at some conferences and stuff, which was great. Because mm -hmm. uh, that's un the, the unusual thing about what we do as a, as a company, right? We meet each other and we have these intense moments and really connect and bond. And then we go back to our own pockets of the world and are only communicating. You know, thankfully, we've always used WhatsApp and Facebook for communication. Um, I think the rest of the world really depends on it more more now so yeah. but um but yeah so it's great when we get moments mm -hmm. together which are few and far between but you and I have shared a few special ones that's for sure for sure yeah being roommates helps <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> Martha will you please give our listeners a little overview of you your life whatever you would yeah. like to share about who you are and and sure. what you do yeah. Um, so a little bit about me. I am um, identifies black and I, I am biracial, but I do identify as black and I live in this very small town, Kingston, Ontario, and I grew up kind of on a farm in Inverary. And um, having I'm about I'm 55 years old. And so it just kind of will kind of outline the context of time um, in this environment. So that means there was no internet available. There was no, <laughs> there was no way to check facts for an example. So I remember as a kid telling people I was related to like Muhammad Ali and like Michael Jackson. <gasps> and they were like, Oh, okay. Cause you know, I kind of look like Janet Jackson. So they were like, totally can see you as part of the Jackson family. Like, People believe everything I said, <laughs> Martha. <laughs> but um, but it, in high school, I think is when I really felt um, very very marginalized and alone. And I said, you know, I'm going to move to Boston. That's where my dad lived. My dad mm -hmm. originally from Liberia. My mom grew up. Uh, was born in Quebec City. And um, interestingly enough, like they were at a school in Maine and they got kicked out because this is during the '60s, right? It was illegal for people to date if they were. Um, interracial dating was not allowed. Um, so I, yeah, I went down, they got divorced, obviously. So I moved down to, um, to Boston, Dorchester, Mass. And I was, I'm sure quite an anomaly for everybody because I was, you know, Bob Dylan playing the guitar, wearing Birkenstocks, you know, the whole <laughs> Canadian experience uh, that I was, so I was very flannel. Everybody. Yeah. Um, but ended up, you know, just, um, I played sports, you know, always been involved in sports. So, um, the things that I did prior was rowing, which I'll talk about a little bit, I hope today. Um, and I played basketball and volleyball and all the things. So I played for the basketball team at my high school in Boston, which was Hyde Park high school. 
And um, Hyde Park has a very interesting history in of itself about when um, they were desegregating the schools. There was a lot of um, not good stuff that happened at that school. But anyway, I ended up there and my basketball coach was like, you know, would see me studying. And because it was an inner city school, a lot of the kids, they, you know, academics wasn't top of mind, but it was for me. And um, would see me studying. And he was like, well, Martha, what are you doing next year? Because I was there for 11th grade. But in Canada, we have, no, I was there for 12th grade. In Canada, we had grade 13. So it was never my intention to stay in the States. I always planned to come back. Um, but I said, well, I'm going back to Canada. He goes, well, what kind of grades do you get? And I was like, here, I get really good grades. Like I was getting like 95s and hundreds on stuff. Right. And I wrote an essay uh, about Mahatma Gandhi, um, for Radcliffe and I won the award. Um, and it was just because I was, you know, I was a different kid, obviously, and had different experiences. And so, um, I said, well, he goes, would you like to go to Harvard? And I was like, absolutely not. I would never go to Harvard. I was like, I was very anti, you know, um, establishment at the time, anti-brand, anti, it's so funny, right? <laughs> All those things. I didn't believe in the popular culture. I was like, absolutely not. I don't want the stigma that would go with going to Harvard. And he said, well, what about Wellesley? Now I did not know about Wellesley. Mm-hmm. So I got, I got hoodwinked into thinking that that was a- <laughs> It won't be the first time. <laughs> but really what sold me on Wellesley was the campus. It was the yeah. beauty of the campus. Um, and the first thing I saw were women on the water rowing. And I was like, eh, all right, I'll apply to one school. If I get in, I'll stay. And that's pretty much what happened. I got into Wellesley. It was a, it was a good experience and um, ended up staying there. And then I worked in public health for a couple of years. So I worked with as a case manager for inner city kids that had that teen moms and HIV was really big oh, at the time. I did not know that, yeah. Martha. Yeah. Okay. So that was a, that was two years of, it was really hard work. Like yeah. not hard, like it was just very emotional. Yeah, emotional. Creative, yeah. You know, yeah. and wanting always to be there and be the support. And also again, you know, talking about representation and having, education was unusual in that I was in Mattapan at that time, which is just south or I guess it's south of Dorchester Mm -hmm. um, and working in those communities. And um, so did that and then went to graduate school and did my graduate work at UCLA in African-American studies and um, ended up teaching a course at UCLA on um, the history of African-American studies. So I got even more entrenched in the history because I really didn't get any in Canada, obviously. Um, And so I was catching up, you know, as as far as I was concerned. And then, you know, my I met my ex-husband. He was um, doing work at MIT, um, electrical engineer, and he was down at Georgia Tech. And so we we moved to Atlanta and I ended up staying in Atlanta for 20 years. And I worked in public health. I mean, public health, public housing there for several years. Um, Same kind of thing. Very emotionally draining. um, Dealing with the city and all the red tape and everything. And then, you know, and did that work. And then when I got pregnant, I just, I was like, I'm going to be a mom because all that grassroots work really wears you out. And it takes mm-hmm. a lot from you. And when you talk about self-care, it was probably um, not intentional, but obviously in awareness of what I was capable of as a mom. And I knew I couldn't do both well. Because when I work in community and do grassroots work, it is it takes every ounce of my energy and probably health from me. And I knew that at that moment, 
my work was to raise a good human mm-hmm. and that would be a great member of society and would continue the work on in whatever way she felt was her gift. Her gift is not being, is not the, the one that causes, we you know, good trouble. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call it. Um, using that term from um, the Georgia Senator, I can't even remember his name because I'm not, I'm, my brain's too full. That's, that's too, <laughs> too full of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, that's, you know, kind of how it worked. And then my ex and I, we divorced when my daughter's maybe three. And I had made a commitment to myself because my parents were getting older that when I turned 50, I would come home. And I turned 50 March in March by May of that year, it's 2017. Yeah. I was gone. I packed my Mini Cooper. My daughter had a Fiat, packed that. That's all we took. We drove on up and that's it. That's, I haven't really done, I mean, I've been back to Atlanta a couple of times for trainings, but not, you know, until we got a new MI down there. Yeah. Um, but that's, I'm here now and I'm grounded and I've built, I've, you know, built in my, my roots here now and. Um, so that's that's a, the short version, <laughs> and and the complete opposite, right, of the feel of Atlanta, where you're in the hub and the heart and the buzz, and you're out in nature, and you have your farm yeah. animals, and your aunt has a farm, and yeah. you know you could ride your bike more, yeah. and it really, yeah, it's completely different when you look completely at different, yeah, the place. I think the so. main thing, I mean, especially when it comes to care, because this is, was one of the deciding factors for me um, when I was in Atlanta. I was ri- driving to work. And it was just bumper to bumper traffic. And it's it was one of those moments I said, I spend probably 20 hours a week in traffic. This is not going to be my life. Mm. And it was just that moment was like, this is not going to be my life. So here, and I, you know, I can ride my bike to work in 10 minutes. I can ride my bike across the entire city in 30. And um, I walk to work in the winter if I don't feel like shoveling my driveway, which is often, and it takes me like 35, 40 minutes. If the snow's really deep, it can take a little longer, but, you know, being able to walk to the grocery store and being able to like, that has changed the quality of life for me. Like that was a really big decision to make for yeah. my wellness was not being in traffic. Um, that was a big decision. And it's so interesting because so many people, you know, we think about all of these cities every city, it doesn't matter where you live, any city, we do give up so much of ourselves Mm -hmm. to sitting in a car in this bumper to bumper traffic. And there's so many people that do it day in and day out. Mm -hmm. I've never had that. And, you know, if, if someone says, oh, I have a 30 minute commute, I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. (laughs) And 30, you know, and it's nothing, you know, I have a seven minute commute. I've never had much at all. And I can't imagine giving up that much time is where yeah. I'm going. Cause you yeah. do, you're giving up time. You're giving up, then you can't get it back, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, well, they did a study too on, you know, the stress levels of people when they are sitting in traffic and they found that women actually, even though they don't feel like they're stressed because they're so used to it, they did like a, I think it was Harvard that did the study. I can't remember the name of it, but they did a study and they found that it was causing stress you know, like, and stress, we know ages you stress causes, you know, makes you more susceptible to, in, to um, well, injury, yes, and also to illness mm. and makes it less likely for you to heal from things. And it, it just right. has this like domino effect. 
and you don't realize and when you don't even realize that it's causing you stress to be sitting i mean of course it's causing you stress you're sitting in traffic you're trying to get right. somewhere yeah. right so even if you expect it it's still Stress. And I should reframe what I said because a long commute is one thing, right? When it is peaceful and you're listening right. to a podcast yeah. and it's and you know it is versus like that commute that's so long because you don't go anywhere, right. which to your point is, you know, the blood is boiling and you're thinking of all these things that you need to get done and you can't get there. Yeah. So um, I yeah. don't mean that every long yeah. commute is, is bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. So you've moved back. You're in this beautiful uh, little haven that you're starting mm-hmm. to create. And really, I mean, you hadn't lived there most of your adult life. So creating a new community, finding your yeah. way there, and then the pandemic hits. And Canada was super strict, like mm. one of the most strict places that I've heard about. So explain what was happening for you at that point. Yeah. It, yeah. It was very, very strict. Um, I, you may not even know this about me, Tammy, but I actually have an introvert. And so I was in my element. <laughs> I was like, yes, COVID hit. <laughs> you, you did mention that. We, we, Martha and I and a few of our yeah. friends, we would have some um, Facebook chats and there we'd be from all different countries. And you were saying, I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of happy right now. Yeah, she's 24. She's like, this is like, I've been waiting for this my whole life. Like <laughs> we were in, and the thing is like, I, I could see if I was in an apartment you know, like that would, mm-hmm. but I have a huge yard and I also had a small circle. So they would allow like eight people or something. And we actually have exactly eight people. Okay. And so we, and, you know, sometimes we didn't meet at all with my family because my, you know, I have older, you know, relatives, yep. but not having to go anywhere and just get out of bed, do your, your meetings in zoom with your pajama bottoms. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I wasn't mad (laughs) (laughs) and I don't mean to make light of it because I know so many people suffered from it, but for me personally, like, you know, and I lost my dad because of COVID. And so it wasn't like I didn't have the loss. Like there were things that happened and I couldn't go to the funeral. And my brother died during COVID, not because of COVID, but during COVID and I couldn't go to the funeral. So there was obviously, um, but generally speaking, I mean, in terms of for me personally, my mental and physical health, I think really actually, it's almost like the whole, it was nice to know that there, I wasn't neat. Like I didn't, there wasn't anywhere for me to go. Right. So there was no rush. There was just, you know, um, I, I could sleep in if I need to, even though I didn't, but I spent a lot of time in the yard. Like I, I just, it wasn't awful for me. Mm. Um which is great. Like you're so lucky, yeah. right? Yeah. You're so lucky that that was a, I'm going to say a byproduct for you where so mm-hmm. many people, it doesn't serve their nature and it was r- really hard. So yeah. I don't think that's, you know, I think your phrase, like, you know, I, you almost feel bad saying it, but I don't think you have to, you know, none of us chose this. So it, right. it, it yeah. was what it was. Yeah. And you were fortunate that it agreed with who you were in that moment, maybe who yeah. you were your whole life, but definitely where you were in that moment, which, uh, yeah. which you're very lucky for. And I think that maybe it's almost like it came at a time when I needed the rest. I needed mm. the, the, you know, halt from, you know, to just be able to regenerate, re-energize and be able to offer more yeah. because I had the rest. And that's what I looked at COVID. I looked at COVID as a pause 
you know, and it was a pause. I don't, you know, this is my own personal philosophy, obviously. It's just the world needed a pause. Like, it's not like we were in a good place. It's not like, um, I don't know if we're in a better place, but I just feel like <laughs> it's like we had a pause. Yep. And it brought, I think what it did, what I saw, what I noticed is that it either brought out the very best of people or brought out the very worst of people. And um, for me, it was, it, it, it worked out for it to be the best for me and for, I think for my whole family, because we're all introverts. So we were all like, totally <laughs> fine. you yeah, know, it's a learned behavior, right? So we were all like, not a problem for us. We are cool. Yeah, because you were saying, which I did know and I remember um, you talking about your mom before, but when we were just pre-chatting, you know, your mom's an artist and she likes to work in solitude and your daughter as well is yeah. not, she's no. more like you, mannerism, and you have the farm animals and like yeah. that's what makes you happy. Yeah. Um, solitude yeah. things, uh, yeah. Which, yeah. which solitary yeah. things. Yeah. 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 Which is so, good. Yeah, it wasn't. I kept wishing we'd get, I mean, I know this is a terrible thing to say, but we are, you know, I'm surprised that Canada hasn't, because we're, you know, we're seeing increases in cases again, yeah. right? And um, people are sick, like everybody's sick. I'm the only one who hasn't had it. And then I was reading something saying, you probably did, you didn't know you had it. Like, I just, you know, um, I just hope I didn't give it to anybody because I certainly, I've tested several times and it's been negative. Yeah, that's um, the worst thing I think about this is through the whole thing. I was never worried like, oh gosh, if I get sick, it's, oh my gosh, what if I didn't know? What if I gave it to this one? What yeah. if I exposed this one? Yeah. And to your point, I just had it in um, a few months ago and I had not had it, you know, in the two mm -hmm. years of this whole thing. And and yes, I was sick for a couple of days, but whatever, I made it through the other side. Yeah. But yeah. the whole time it was like, oh gosh, what if I didn't know? And now I'm texting yeah. people. I hope yeah. I didn't give it to you. And I really didn't know anybody else who who got it from me. So um, I'm okay. And one of my friends was so kind and said, remember somebody gave it to you. Like, right. relax. It's okay. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank you for that. Because it's like, you, you kind of forget. Yeah. That is so true. So yeah. True. <laughs> that guilt that we put on ourselves. Like, you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so then, you know, the world starts to open back up a bit and now we're back at work more. Mm. And have, has there been anything... I guess just, I'm going to say stick right now, just work related things that you had done during the pandemic, that pandemic that now that we're out, you've stuck to that. You're like, okay, this is a non-negotiable. We have to continue this. This yeah. is a better process or this serves me better. Or, you know, is there anything? Yeah, I mean, nature? obviously during that time, you know, that was when George Floyd's murder happened. So there's a big shift um, in companies and, um, the company that I did work for had made some commitments. And so we were given an opportunity. They, we call them people networks and we'd never had that before. So if you were, um, if you, um, you know, as I mentioned, I identify as black. And so I was, I am the um, lead for the black people network for this company. And um, it's the, the work that we did, we would never have done for the company. Mm. If it hadn't been for that. And okay. so that work has continued and is also growing. And it's something that's non-negotiable that we will continue to work on regardless. And I think also, like we talk about this often, like why was George Floyd's um, murder so, why did it impact the world the way it did? And we forget that we were all sitting at home, you know, and we were bombarded with 
the imagery of it mm-hmm. and it was optics of it. I think that really impacted so many people on an emotional level and got people into action because this was not new. You know, we've seen many black right. people. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, so it wasn't new. It was just like, maybe it was because of what was going on in the world that created like this kind of tunnel, like you, you couldn't escape it. And if you couldn't escape it, that means you had to act. And so corporations and universities and, you know, people started to really do more introspection on what was their role? How did it get to this point that someone could put their neck on someone's their knee on someone's neck and just watch them die while they're calling their mother right. for several minutes. So like there was something that shifted, not for everybody, but for pe- a lot of people, a lot of companies made big statements and created, you know, whole departments on how to diversify and, and starting to understand the importance of what diversity means and what equity means and what actually, like what it all means and how can we, how can we shift and can we shift? And it's, it's a long historical issue. It's a systematic issue and it's going to take a lot of work. Right. Um, and I don't expect it to change in my lifetime, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to continue to, to work. And, you know, as you said earlier in our preach chat <laughs> is that I am a fighter. Um, you are a fighter. And, you know, it's, it's not, I don't think it's, I don't think it's by choice, it's by necessity. Mm. And I think that's where the exhaustion comes in. Right. Um, is that if I don't, I see too many people that don't have the capacity and they walk away and we can't walk away. We've got to fight to make change. And I've been a guest speaker on several of our teams at the company. Um, and I say to the, the leaders of those teams that if you're not uncomfortable, you're not doing the work. And you have to be uncomfortable because change is uncomfortable. Right. And if you want to really see, and the, the, the crazy, not, not crazy, the, it's not the right term, the, the really interesting result of actually being more diverse is that we're making so much money. And because I'm in these spaces where the, there normally hasn't been someone like me in this space. And it's really interesting because we, we do this thing it's called a quarterly business review. And I was presenting, we were all presenting. So everybody else presented theirs and they were all, you know, all white women, young, whatever they're presenting theirs and they're giving themselves all kinds of great credit on all the hard work they've done. And I'm just sitting there like, are you kidding me? So then when it gets to me, I'm like, well, the reason why we're making so much money is because we just opened our market to a whole group of people that didn't feel comfortable in our spaces by diversifying our stores, our website, our product. We just opened up our market to a whole group of people. Mm -hmm. You didn't do. Okay. Right. (laughs) I know where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is why you made, our, our spaces became more inclusive. And look at what happened as a result, right? I yeah. mean, all of these positive things for everyone, yeah. you know, but yeah. so interesting. But I, and yeah, so we, Martha and I, you know, I always pre-chat with my guests, which I tell people, but um, <laughs> Martha is the person that you want on your side 
it, even if it's not a fight, you because you're really eloquent, mm-hmm. you're really thoughtful in how you say things. So in any confrontation, right, you are the person that I would want around because you do it in a way you're not like I tend to get too emotional. I know. And like m- that emotion gets mm-hmm. the best of me where you're a fighter. You've been a fighter. It's an eight. It's because you've had to um, nature, nurture, probably both for you. But you do it in a way that in at least in my eyes makes makes sense and is productive as opposed to I feel like I'm that's one thing I'm not good at. I don't think my fights are always productive because I get too emotional and it's more I I don't even know if I'm articulating it right, but you're even if it's anger that you're feeling it's not what the other person is feeling or how you're so you've really worked very hard I think at being good at that whole piece of standing up for yourself or for others or for mm-hmm. what's right. Um, and I I do love and appreciate that about you mm-hmm. because that's really something that I wish I was better at. And you might surprise yourself because you should record yourself one time. Like it do, they don't, you don't like, you're not going to use it. So you don't need permission. Just like record yourself. One of the times that you're in those conversations, because I finally did that. Because okay. I thought I was coming across as being angry because I could feel it in, inside. Yeah. And I thought I was coming across as like not getting my point across and just like being unprofessional and all those things. Mm-hmm. And I listened to myself I was like, oh, I'm not. I'm just feeling okay. it on the inside, but it's not coming across and I am having impact. But I didn't know it until I, because we, yeah, women probably more so than anyone else are our worst critic. And we think that we're not effective. We think that we um, could do better. But Tammy, I've known you long enough to know (laughs) (laughs) that you actually are very powerful in the things that you say. And you, in emotion, and that's the other thing too about self-care that I just want to bring up is that emotion is self-care. When we are an emotion, when we allow ourselves, you know, I did one-on-ones with my team. I've been doing them for the last two weeks. Every, I would say 80% of them cried. Okay. They cried. And, you know, with coaching specifically, what I see when I coach is that um, when people are heard and seen and someone's actually listening to them, it brings up all this emotion. And that's all anyone wants. Right. They just want to be seen. They just want someone to listen to them. So I would I would challenge you one time when you're in those <laughs> conversations. Like just put your iPhone there. No one needs to know that it's for yeah. you. Right. And you might amaze yourself in how you come across. Thank you for that vote of confidence. Yeah. I will I will try to practice that. Hopefully I won't have to be too, to be too heated and have to do that. But, uh, but it is like you're saying, you know, I'm feeling it. And I guess feeling the emotion and what's coming out are really two different things. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. so that's a really yeah. great takeaway to, to record. Yeah. And it's like anything, right? When we're learning how to teach um, fitness classes, which we've done, recording yourself is such an eye opening, mm-hmm. you know, it's horrifying, but it, you learn so much about yourself, what you yeah. say, things you don't realize you say, you know, all of that. It's so, so funny because I have started, I started a uh, YouTube channel um, with my art, right? Okay. And, and because I'm an introvert and I'm 
doing my paintings and I'm in a, you know, so now I, and I have my, I, I video record myself and I watch myself as entertainment instead of watching Netflix. I'm quite entertaining. Apparently I'm like, wow, I'm funny. And you know, and then there's this one part in the thing and I'm like, I'm political. And I'm also talking about my syndrome. I'm like, I don't know what this, there's one, um, part on on the YouTube. And I was like, no one's going to watch this but me. And it doesn't even matter because it's kind of like a historical journal. You know what I mean? Like, like, but it's, it's on YouTube and it's just funny because I'll say something like, I don't know, like if this is about my art or about my syndrome or about my politics, but it's really entertaining. And I actually am kind of funny, you know, so Maybe you're like not writing your own biography, but but doing it in yeah. this artistic mode. I love that. Yeah. Maybe it'll yeah. somehow be published or whatever. Well, That's it's interesting. It's really interesting because somehow I don't know. So someone found me. Um, I don't even know how. So I'm actually doing a piece for USA Rowing. Okay. So I'll have to go to Tribeca. Um, for the award ceremony, and my piece will be the USA Rowing piece. Oh, Martha, that's exciting! I know it's, and I'm like, but how did you find me? How did you know? Because they're trying to diversify rowing. Okay. Yep. Okay. And they like, no, we want you to do the piece. And I was I'm, like, I've done one rowing piece. Like, I'm like, I'm very confused. <laughs> So Martha is speaking about her art, which we are going to get to because no, no, I love this that you brought it up because it's a newer component to your life, at least as far as I know you. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about that and give it its due before we talk about the art, because I think the art filters into Mm -hmm. when we talk about what do you do for self-care? What is self-care for you? I think you found something new. So, so I want you to take us back and we mentioned self-care a little bit. But um, I would just say that I, again, for what we know of each other, some of the things that I admire about you are that you know how to care for yourself. You know when you need to retreat. Mm-hmm. I, I am your roommate, so we did. you did have your soundscape on, but it's on a timer and you listen to your white noise or your music before you go to bed. But, you know, those things are important, right? Mm-hmm. So I know that that's part of who you are. Obviously, we're from the health and wellness industry. Mm-hmm. So we are movers. You're an athlete. So just, I guess, take us through a little bit of what is self-care for you personally. Yeah. How do you yeah. do that? And and where has that led you to today? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I have, there's a few things that have happened is, um, getting information from really smart people. So I listened to Andrew Huberman and I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he is a neuroscientist from Stanford. And so I I get some information from him and some of his podcasts in terms of like the, the plasticity of the brain and how we can, you know, shift. And also with coaching, like how we can shift perspective and how we can do this and impact like how we respond to things. Um, and one of the suggestions he made was um, hypnosis. Okay. So I've changed my soundscape to this man named Michael Seeley, and he does a deep sleep hypnosis. And I kid you not, like the first time I listened to it, I was like, there is no way this dude's putting me to sleep. There's no way. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And I do the whole thing. I put the timer on for, you know, an hour and a half. I was sleeping like 15 minutes. I oh can't even gosh. tell you what he says. I have no clue, but I will say this. And the one I listened to is about, um, it is about 
it's wealth, but it's not just wealth. It is about, um, it's about, you know, bringing things into your life that are Mm. going to serve you. And I really think that there is a correlation with that and doing art and art started for me in April and it, it partially had something to do with the syndrome. So I have MDDDS, which is mal de debacement syndrome, which is called, it's, it's a French term, but it really is illness of disembarkment. So I did a big tour. It was a hundred kilometers. So what's that? 70 miles, something like that on the water last September. Mm. And the water, um, created something in my brain. So it's like sea legs, but you have it forever. Yeah. Oh, so God. any long bout, so the, when I came back from Amsterdam, I also got it right. But it only lasted three months this time. And then I had three years of remission and now I have had it since September of last year. So it's been several, almost a year now. And, Gosh. um, it happens mostly to middle-aged women. Um, and they think that it might be actually a, a trauma response, which is a whole oh, nother really? thing. Yeah, I'm starting to get a little bit more information about it. So I'm going to be meeting with a trauma psychologist. And so that's the other thing is getting help and support. So I use like, you know, I use the science. I use the um, using things like Michael Seeley and the hypnosis and then the getting someone to support me um, with the childhood trauma that I have that could relate to why I have this syndrome. And then the thing that helps me besides being on my bike, which I can't be on a stationary bike right now, but I ride the trails and it's beautiful and being in nature, um, is, um, doing my art when I sit down and what it, most of my art, if it isn't representation of black, um, women, which I've actually never done black men, which is kind of interesting. Oh, really? Um, but it's about black women mostly. Like it's, it's, I have a sister series of sisters singing, sisters meditating, oh, sisters. Beautiful. Yeah. And um, it's interesting because people all over the, all over the U S are buying it. And I'm like, there's gotta be black cars around the corner from you, but they're um, buying the series and they're buying, you know, it's just, it's, it's un- unbelievable. And um, the rowing thing, and it's just, but when I'm painting, like I can have a bad day and I can feel it, but when I'm painting, because it's probably because I'm so focused, I feel a release and that's part of my self-care is, is being alone with my art, creating something and seeing what I create. And um, being in the yard, you know, I have the big yard and, you know, like I have a garden and all my salads in the summer from my, my, um, my own garden, which is such a sense of accomplishment, but just even though I'm being bit to death by mosquitoes, (laughs) it's worth it. (laughs) It's worth it. And then family, you know, being around family, we did hay on Monday. It was horrendous. If anyone has ever done hay, it's like torture. So it's like, Oh, like gathering us. Yeah. Um, Oh, it was awful. But we did it as a family. Um, and then we had like sandwiches after jumped in the pool and, you know, so family and outdoors and being active and then my art, you know, and having hypnosis every single night, every night. It's me and Michael. I'm going to look that up. I'm going to look that up now. Nobody believes me, but I'm like, I know when you listen to it, you don't think it's going to work, but he knocks you out. You will be sleep sound for eight hours. (laughs) 
And so many people need those tips, right? Sleep is yeah, not easy. Sleep. For a lot There's a lot of people that yeah. can't sleep. And sleep yeah. is your best form of care. Yeah, it's a big deal. Sleep. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about your art, and so you said you started in April. What was the catalyst that actually made you sit down with, with painting? You're using, a, it's not like watercolors. Like no, to me, I dream about being able to paint with watercolors and I'm really bad mm-hmm. and I have a couple kits and one day we're going to sit together and we're going to do it. But yours is, I know you said in one it's, of your posts, it's a specific medium yeah. of paint you're using. But what drew you to even know that you could do that? Like your paintings um, are great. They're amazing. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I, you know, my mom's an artist, but she's okay. more of a realist. And I think even though she doesn't want me to ever say this, I think she's sort of intimidated me because her stuff is so good mm-hmm. and I can't paint like her and she uses oils because right. she's like very realistic. So don't ask me, you know, I had someone that wanted me to do a custom piece. Right. So they gave me a picture and I was like, you know, it's not going to look like this. Right. Like it's gonna- <laughs> Just, just letting you know right now that she's like, no, I love your style. It's it, and I I painted it and she loved it. And it's it's more um, it's alcohol ink and it's um, markers. Alcohol. Is what What's alcohol, alcohol ink? So it's just a certain t- medium that you have to use like a non-porous um, surface. And what happens with alcohol ink is that you can manipulate it with like either hair dryer. I use a little like blower thing you can use it as paints if you want to and if you put pure alcohol on top of the pigment it creates like all those really cool effects and if you do different layers and different like with the last piece I did it's called infinity I did probably like four different layers and different colors and it just it's it's really one of the most I I, I've tried every medium because my mom you know I've tried watercolor I've tried oil acrylic, the whole thing. And um, this is just to me, because you have to let go of expectation Mm -hmm. and just be okay with what is created in front of you. And now I have done, like I illustrated a children's book. um, And so she wanted me, she loved the style that it wasn't like, it's sort of realistic. We, my best friend and I were like, what do we call this? Like, what is this called? Is it, it's not abstract right no, no it's not abstract no she's like i think it's more like you know impressionism like a modern impressionism like it's you know like you've got some realism but then also you've got this and i was like we'll just go with that that sounds good you know or it's like i'm trying to think of when i see them it's almost like the outline of the truth or the outline of the essence yeah. of who someone is because it's kind of blurry not in a bad way like you can see yeah. what it is but it's like the the lines are blurred mm-hmm. in that you know what it is you know so it's definitely a distinct woman um you yeah. know what they're doing yeah. but at the same time it's blurred and it's so interesting as as you say this because i think we're similar in a lot of what we do and we like to control things and we like to know the outcome of something mm-hmm. and we like to say oh when I do this and whether we could just say delivering a spinning class here's the great amazing right. profile I've created Never, and ever. here's and here's the result here because I've used science and right. my motivational cues and this is what's going to happen and here you're saying you have to let go of expectation yeah so that's really big yeah and you know I come with a plan and it's really interesting because I have I have a sketchbook especially like if it's something like an illustration for a book or something like that I know that as you know being paid for a job is different so I still have I have a plan and I've been asked to do pieces for people's schools and you know things like that because they're just looking for representation right? right and um 
so I have a plan and very rarely does it turn out the way I plan it. <laughs> okay. But I have not had one piece yet where people are like, no, I don't like that. And I've given people the freedom because I'm so new at it. I'm like, listen, yeah. like, if you don't like it, I'll try and I'll try again. And every single person. And then when they get it in real life, once they, they see it in real life, they are blown yeah. away by like the, 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 the brilliance of the color. Yes, that's the thing. It's so yeah. unique. I've never seen it before. Yeah. My mom, it's kind of, you know, my mom's been an artist for years, right? And she has a gallery and they're selling all my pieces. <laughs> she's <laughs> like, sold another one to Martha's. Like I was like, oh. but she's proud. But on the other side, she's like, she, and the thing is my mom's pieces take her like days, weeks. Yeah. Mine don't, mine take a few hours. Okay. It's a completely different medium. But my mom is very controlled. Everything has right. to be perfect. I'm like, imperfection is beauty. And that's what I love about this medium. And it lets you just, and sometimes I'll, I was like, oh, that was a mistake. That shouldn't, but then I kind of just create, like there's one picture that I did where I use with clothing, especially, I try to make it just what the art, what the, the ink is going to do. And I move yeah. it around and I kind of try and make it look like a dress or a shirt or something like that. But I'm not committed to it looking exactly like that. Mm -hmm. And on one of the pieces I did, I made an accident and dropped a piece, uh, a, a drop of like orange ink and I made it into a cat, you oh. know, and it's so cute. And I'm actually giving it to a new, a, a family, a couple who just had a newborn and it's a little girl with pom-poms, a purple balloon and a yellow cat and, oh. or orange cat. And I just put whiskers on it and little ears and it looks just like cat. So, so that's that's why there's no there's no stress or anxiety around it. You know, you I just like ah, this this works. It's fine. I love that. So it's it's the ability to take even the mistake, which maybe we don't do that, right? This is me subli the subliminals. Yeah, taking the mistakes that we might make and finding the beauty in those or the acceptance. And I yeah. think you know you had said we're we're so hard on ourselves. We're our worst we critic. And mm -hmm. I think here you know, you're flipping the switch and you're saying, oh, Martha, it's okay. What could we create out of this mistake? Yes. And yeah. I think that that's really beautiful. And and whether it's through art or through other things, I think we need to be better mm -hmm. at doing that it for ourselves. More grace. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I, that's one of the things I tell clients and, you know, my, my staff is, you know, you can fail. It's actually okay because that's where you, I mean, we know this and we've heard it several right. times, right. but we still don't give ourselves grace to fail. Yeah. And when you ask the power, you ask the powerful question, like what happens when you fail? And it's always the same answer. I learn. So if you know that that's what happens, why do you give yourself such a hard time about failure? Yeah. Let yourself fail and see what comes out on the other side. And they start crying. Of course. Right. Of because course. people don't tell you it's okay and give you permission yeah. to yeah. fail. Yeah. I make them sign a little thing that says, I promise to fail. I promise to fail. Yeah. Because I it, I know that failure brings success. Right. At least the success that val that I value and that I'm hoping the company will value and or my my clients that buy my art will value. Mm -hmm. You know that there is something about that process of failure that is actually beautiful and we've created something that isn't that's holding people back and I think it's causing a lot of depression and anxiety and 
Yeah, so I mean, we could go into a whole other hour-long podcast with mm-hmm. this, but I think part of it is tied into social media and the perfectionism sure. of what we're posting, right? We're posting the perfect image. Yeah. To your point, yeah. there's so much pressure. And that, again, we don't even need to go there because yeah. that's we already know. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other, gosh, it's a lot. But um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I love that. And thank you for sharing those words because I think we need to hear permission to fail and giving ourselves grace every day because every we're really, day. we're really bad at that. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you one, my one last question. Okay. I know you have things to do today. You're a busy person. <laughs> you're hosting people and yeah. you're traveling. And, um, but what does it mean to you to be your own best friend and how, how good at that? Or where, where are you with that? Well, I love myself unconditionally. Um, You know, maybe I shouldn't say unconditionally because sometimes I give myself a hard time if I get too angry. And then because I do get angry at certain things that happen. Um, But the thing that I love about myself is that I advocate constantly. And in that advocating, not just for myself, I advocate for others usually first, which I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but advocating for myself makes me feel that um, being strong and, you know, for black women, strength has always been something they've, that's been kind of negative being a strong black woman or an angry black woman or all those things they like people like to use. And I'm like, yeah, well, we should be angry. Cause let me tell you how many, I could tell you a whole bunch of reasons why. Mm-hmm. Um, and being strength strong, just like we talked about earlier, it's not a choice. You don't have a, you, you have to be. And this is what I'm actually trying to teach my daughter now, right? Like she's had this kind of blissful because I've always been the mom, but now she's right. growing into an adult. And I was like, I am sorry that this is your experience, but you will have to learn to advocate for yourself. So when you go to the doctor, when you go to work, when you see things that are wrong, you will have to. Right. So I do really, I don't, like, and this is for me, and I'm not saying it's for everybody because I know it's not. But for me, that strength that I have, it's a gift. And I really appreciate having that gift. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to speak up and not stay in the margins, even though that's where I am. I'm not staying there just because it's comfortable. And I, I don't have a problem getting people uncomfortable. And I'm learning also to really appreciate my talents. Um, the ability to write, like writing that proclamation for emancipation for the city and having, the, I was, I thought for sure they're going to take out half the words because it was pretty straightforward. Like it was like, we, we live in a white supremacist society that isn't designed for us to, 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 you know, to do well. And we have to, as individuals, like commit to breaking down that society. And, you know, the pre-talk that we had is what it takes. Mm-hmm. That's it right there is like, yeah, I know, like, you know, like you, Maybe we all aren't, you know, the perfect choice, but we bring something else to the table that is a good choice. And to be able to to really be in that place of like wanting to make things better takes a lot of courage. Um, and so I, I really, and I think, I'm trying to think what I didn't, I think I've always really liked who I am. Mm-hmm. Um maybe it's being an introvert partially because like, I, that's why I probably like watch, watch my own YouTubes. Like I'm like, this is, 
this girl right here is hilarious. I just, I love watching myself. I need to spend more time with me. Yes. And I love spending time with me. And that's, that's the thing. I really, really do. Like, I'm not one of those people that weirds out about going to a movie by themselves or, you know, I do everything by myself mm-hmm. and I enjoy it. And it's not like I don't enjoy people because I do, but I find, and this is true to introverts, like I'm actually good at my work, you know, and I connect well with people, but it's, it's tiring. Yeah. And so I know when it's time to go home and recharge. And that means being alone, like painting or playing my guitar or sometimes just sitting. I do like a lot of restorative yoga because I can't do any flows because of the up and down with my syndrome, mm-hmm. but I can lay on the floor and I can like throw a leg over on that side and an arm <laughs> on that side. And, you know? um, so yeah, I mean, I, and I think also is the thing I like about my, I'm very driven um, sometimes to the point of it being, you know, but I also like, even with vacation, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Like you guys can like, I, and I tell the team this all the time. I'm like, the company will be fine. Mm-hmm. They'll be fine. They're a multi-billion dollar company. They'll be fine. You take care of you. Right. And now I need to remember that for myself. Yes. And just be in a place to be like, the company will be fine. I will take care of Martha because I can't truly be anything for anyone else if I'm not being true to myself. And when I was in those one-on-ones with people and I would ask for feedback, that was the number one thing they said to me, Martha, you need to take care of yourself. That's the feedback I had for you. Go take care of you. Yeah. And that was, that was eye-opening to see that my team can tell when I need to go and take care of Martha. And so I really like myself. I, I think the, the area of opportunity for me is to be more conscious and aware of how much of the time I need to rest. I mm. need to rest. Yeah. And so I'm committed to doing that, to resting more. Isn't it so crazy, you know, because you and I are the same age, you know, we're, we're <laughs> a middle-aged woman age, but it's taken us so long to get to this point yeah. of, I'm going to say the whole package of appreciation for who we are, but but permission to rest, knowing that mm-hmm. it's okay to do that. And and I, you know, who knows, is it society? Is it like the expectation we think others have? Is it because we're driven? Whatever it is, it's taken us a while to yeah. to really listen to those words. And, yeah. and I'm glad we're there. Yeah. I had to, you know, with the coaching program that I did, one of the things, like we did this test, it was about the saboteur. And the saboteur is that voice that you th- you know, for some people on the outside, it looks like it's a positive characteristic. And mine out of 10, I got a nine out of 10 for being a high performer. And when you look at that, you think, ooh, that's actually not good. Because when you're a higher performer, that means you're sacrificing so much for that performance. Mm. That goes back to like me telling people it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail. And then I can't even like internalize how important it is to fail. And so I use it through my art, you know, and through spinning classes, right? Like teaching like indoor cycling. I'm like, I probably can bomb out, but you know what? That's okay. You know, um, even when, you know, do trainings and things like that. And then I start rambling and, you know, start telling jokes if I've forgotten something or, you know, I make it a good time anyway, but you know, the giving yourself the grace that you, that I will offer to everyone else. And then when I did that, I was so surprised that that was the thing that's holding me back is by being such a high performer. And so I don't want to be a high performer. I want to, 
I want it to come down to like a five. Like I want to, I want to, you know what I mean? Like it'll be mediocre. Want to be mediocre. Just let me be a mediocre person. Yeah, like you. Well, I don't want the high performance to get in the way of the importance of care, and that's what's happened for me. I think is that because I believe because there's on there's only a certain number of times time in the day, and really what it indicates to me is that the company we don't have no people. Because the work isn't getting done, right? And so I'm like, ooh, is this really something to do with me or not? Like, I want to do my job well, but I also want to take care of Martha well. Mm-hmm. But I can't, sometimes you can't do both. And so I'm really looking at that, finding out that information about what my saboteur was. You know, it wasn't the, like a friend of mine did it and his was rational. And he was like, I'm not rational. I was like, yes, you are. Like, every single decision you make is rational. And if you don't recognize how that holds you back from being creative, from taking chances, from allowing yourself to fail. And so it's easy for me to, to, to preach to others. Right. Right. And then I'm like, Oh, look at your situation. And so I left like for a vacation without completing a whole bunch of stuff. I never do that. Yeah. I was going to stay up all night and get all, and I was like, you know what? I'm not doing it. Not doing it. They will be fine. Yeah. I'm only gone until the 15th. They'll figure it out. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. It's really difficult and it's hard to get to that place. And we worry, oh, mm-hmm. what's that going to cost me and my profession and who I am? But like, you can, you can only do what you can do. You yeah. can only do what you can do. Exactly. Yeah. And it all comes at a cost. It all comes at a cost. And you can't get yeah. that time back. No. And we've, we've known, right. Yeah. Of all the precious lives that we've seen. Right. And yeah, you don't I, get it yeah, back. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Well, Martha, this has really been such a lovely conversation. Thank I've you. missed you. So it's mm-hmm. great. And I thank you for your authenticity and everything you shared with our listeners. Well, thank and, you for the powerful questions to get me to really think things through and re- remember that I also have to give myself grace and permission to fail. Yeah. So of course. And I'm also just for my listeners, I'm going to put a couple of, um, Instagram, Facebook up so you can see Martha's artwork and maybe support her or, you know, have envy. I have a piece I'm going to commission. So you, you don't go anywhere. I'm going to talk about what that is, but, um, Martha, I love you. I love you. Thank you. A big thank you and hug to you, Martha Williams, for all that you shared with me and to our listeners on this week's episode of Living Well While Living Online, a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. And thank you to everyone listening in. I really appreciate your support and your uh, continued listen in each week with these remarkable guests. So you will certainly want to come back next week for uh, Dr. Haley Winchell, who is actually another Quinnipiac University alumni, someone who worked for me while she was a student. So I'm so happy to be able to reconnect and have this really beautiful conversation with her. And Haley will talk about the power of listening and about feeling depleted and, and how we can best care for ourselves. And it's such simple advice, right? And I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. I mean, simple in just such a a beautiful way. So I think you'll enjoy the wisdom that Haley brings to the conversation. I also want to give a big shout out to our producer, Renette Chafu. 
to the executive producer, David DeRoche, and to Scott Holmes for the theme music. So you can be sure to listen in to more of our podcasts on the platform or app of your choice. And you can follow us on Instagram at QUPodcasts and shoot us an email. And that address is QUPodcasts at quinnipiac.edu. Until next week, my friends, please be intentional, breathe deep, and learn to be your own best friend.